It's so good to be here today with you folk. It's almost surreal to experience coming back to the Doolins Grove and memories flood back. You begin to relive a lot of things. I'm happy to know many of you still who have remained faithful here, who were a part of the fellowship when I was here. It means an awful lot to me to see you here. And also, for folk I don't know, I'm grateful for you that you're here today. It's such an honor for me to be here on this day of homecoming. Betty and I have been up in Virginia for about six weeks. We, Betty's granddaughter was married uh, Saturday week ago in Abington, Virginia, and I was privileged to be her adopted grandfather for that wedding and do, and do the honors of performing this ceremony. Well then, while I was up there last year helping out in the church, a dear lady in the church 93 years of age, died while I was up there, and she made me promise last year that I would be committed to her funeral if she died. Well, she died Saturday night after the wedding, and so that funeral wasn't until Thursday, and so we were late getting back. We got back here Friday, and I wouldn't have been too disappointed if the Lord had returned Saturday. Things were getting pretty hectic there for a while. <laughs> but it's so good to be here today with you. I, I just cannot express what I feel in my heart for this place and for you people. If I remember correctly, and some of you can correct me, feel free to do so, that I believe this year marks the 118th anniversary of this church. I don't remember all of those years. I'm almost there. <laughs> you know, I know what you're thinking. No, I didn't start it. No, I almost finished it a time or two. You know. No, 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 no. But uh, 100 and 18 years. That makes it back in 1893. That's before automobiles were made, if I remember correctly. See, I do. I was back. No. I understood that was 1896, the first automobile came out, but wasn't any air travel and that kind of a thing. I do remember some of the old timers here talking when the church was first formed. The road out here, Albemarle Road, single lane road, but it wasn't paved. It'd take them all day with the wagon to take some produce down to Trade Street and back to sell. I do remember some of the old timers talking about with a horse and one of these scoop buckets that a man had to manhandle almost. You know, the horse pulled along, got a full, but he had to empty it. That's the way they dug the basement of the old church. And it was a little struggle for the church to decide, quit worshiping down there and come up here on the hill. 
But most of the church prevailed, and here we are today. What a beautiful story. There's a, there's a wonderful history about this church, if you would just study it. It sprung out of a meeting across the road, pretty much where the General Conference office is situated today. And that is so fascinating. And I, I just can't take time for that. When Matt called me several days ago and said, uh, what's your sermon title of the morning and what's the scripture? Well, I wish the Lord had come the day before. <laughs> no, I said, no, let, let me check the file, Matt. I got something in mind. And uh, then I said to Matt, I said, Matt, I cannot speak on homecoming without speaking about the grandest homecoming ever in store for us as God's people. And he was okay with that, but he just wanted to know before he went down there and basked in the sun for a little while, you know. But anyway, I gave that to him, and here I am today. And why is, why is homecoming the grandest one in store for us? Why is that so significant and important? to me, and should be for all of us? The New Testament writers, very quickly after the resurrection of the Lord, became aware that this was the beginning of the Messianic age. That Christ was indeed the promised Messiah. And that he indeed died and rose from the grave. And that he indeed was coming back again. And the next great climactic event for the Christians was going to be the coming of the Lord. Marking the end of God's activity in this world as we know it now. That's why it's important to me. It would be a kingdom without end that would be launched when Christ comes. It will begin our eternal life with Christ. I'm going to have any trouble getting up these three short steps. Pretty narrow, aren't they? Yeah. All sin and any trace of unrighteousness will be destroyed. A new order of all things will begin. The earth will be made new, as well as the heavens. And Isaiah spoke prophetically when he said, For the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the Lord as the waters that covers the sea. That's pretty full. As you perhaps may know, this year marks the 150th anniversary of the Advent Christian Church as a whole. And out of that rose a group of people who wanted to claim the promise of the Lord for real. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And the same John who recorded these words is the same one that we'll be hearing from today, just a little later in this sermon. The strong biblical motivations for thousands of people was the realization that the Holy Scriptures is replete with the truth that Christ is literally and bodily coming back again to gather his children to himself. What you may not know, but prior to that time, there was no, there was no belief prevalent in this nation that Christ was going to come back again bodily. There were some ministers in England and Europe, probably, that was preaching that, but that was not true here. And the astounding fact is that it was the coming of Christ was spiritualized, that when he came into your heart, when you accepted him as Lord and Savior, that indeed was his second coming. But there was a large segment of people who were convinced, no, the scripture is talking about a bodily return. And once this is claimed as true, and once it begins to be assimilated in our thought process and with other scriptures that are before us, there's many other cardinal teachings that come together that makes the teachings of Christ consistent with his promises. Let me read to you the scripture lesson from the book of Revelations, chapter 1, four verses, beginning with verse 4. John, to the church, seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God and Father, to him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. This is the text coming up. Look. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. The scripture that I read begins with a greeting to the churches and a doxology of praise of all that John sees that the risen Christ has done. He sets the stage for this fantastic promise in verse 7. Look, he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn of him. 
so shall it be. Amen. The adoration of John expressed in the doxology creates an expectancy that this Lord will return to earth. And John cries out, look, he comes with the clouds. John is able to see the beginning of the Messianic age and he's able to see the ending of the Messianic age. In fact, John was so blessed, if you want to look at it a little more closely, he was able, by his writings in the Gospel of John, the verse, first verse and several verses down, to see from the beginning when the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And now he saw him at work in his lifetime. He spoke to him. He was a disciple that the Lord especially loved. And now he's able, through an inspiration of God, to see the end of the human experience upon this earth. He remembers the promises of the angels at the ascension of Christ. John was there. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. Will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And John got a foretaste of what was happening. And in verses 5 and 6 of this passage that I read to you, he reveals what he has seen in Christ. He reveals that he has forgiven us of our sins. He reveals that he has given us grace. Now we are part of the kingdom of God being prepared for the great climactic event of his coming again and living eternally with him. John recorded, for our encouragement, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. I'd like to look at verse 7 a little more closely. First of all, consider the word look or behold. Look. He's coming with the clouds. It carries the idea that John somehow is seeing that which was happening. Look. There's an example in Matthew chapter 25 where you have the parable of the ten virgins. The word look or behold is used in that passage as well. And it's, it's announcing an event that is on the verge of happening. Behold or look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. like traveling down the interstate, uh, hopefully no more than 70 miles an hour. And you see something taking place. You've got passengers in the car. You say, look. And boy, they better look quick. Because telephone poles are going by. Pretty, you know, if they don't, they're going to miss it. This is sort of the idea in this passage of John. Look. Look suggests 
too, that it's not a matter of speculation. Nor is it a matter of a mere possibility. But it's in the process of happening. John the Baptist on one day saw the Lord coming toward him and he had his uh, group of disciples around him. He said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. As Pastor Matt spoke earlier, do we have the anticipation, this kind of awareness, this kind of anticipation The Christ is in the very process of coming for his children. I remember as a little kid, we lived up in Greenbrier County in West Virginia in the coal mining community. My dad, my granddad was back down in Kanawha County, closer to Charleston. Wasn't any phones or anything like that, you know. So letter writing, I guess mom and dad had written his dad, that uh, they, we were going to come down and visit him on a certain day, you know, this type of day. Invariably, every time that happened, we only had a little coupe car, one-seater. Invariably, we would meet Grandpa walking toward us two miles up the road. He just couldn't wait till we got there. And so here he hangs on the running board. The cars had running boards. <laughs> For the two miles back home through the creeks and everything, you know. Yeah. Do we look for him eagerly? We know we eagerly claim his birth. We, we can do that pretty good for Christmas, can't we? Boy, we can get excited about his birth and we can walk with him in his pilgrimage from Bethlehem to Golgotha. We can get quite amazed at times at some of the miraculous things that he did upon this earth, even raising people from the dead. We can weep with those who, pres- who are present from Calvary to the tomb. We can rejoice in the empty tomb and gladly tell the world, he's alive, he's alive forevermore. Do we have somewhat close to that an equal conviction? Look, he's coming with the clouds. Now you get down on trade and try and do that and you maybe get locked up, but I don't know. But something in our hearts I'm asking for here. We accept the, the treasure of our repentance that John refers to here how we have been forgiven of our sins. Salvation has come to us. And do you know that repentance is mentioned 70 times in the Holy Scriptures? And in this passage of Scripture, we're reminded of the grace of God. And grace is mentioned 125 times, including this passage today in the Holy Scriptures. But you know that the second coming of Christ is referenced in the Holy Scriptures more than 300 
and 80 times. It's not a matter, perhaps, nor maybe. It's not if our Lord is going to come back, but it's a matter of when. Look, he's coming with clouds. He's coming for those who claim him as his master and Lord. He's coming for his bride, the church. He comes for the faithful of all ages. We do not go to him, but he comes for us. In certainty, he comes. And the tenor of this passage, as I understand it, is that our Lord is already in the process of coming only in the wisdom of God when the coming of Christ will be ushered upon this world. For that matter, all of us, it could be today or tomorrow. It's not going to be a thousand years for us. Here I stand before you, 82. I don't see how it can be many more years for me if he tarries. For after I die, the next thing I will know, the trumpet will sound. He will have come just as he had promised. The next thing about this Verse 7 is that John says he's going to be seen by all at his coming. I'm going to see that. This is an event that will be experienced by all of us. It's a literal event. Every eye shall see him. I remember one day, I was just a little fellow, some guy stopped in to talk to my dad on the front porch trying to convince my dad that the Lord had already come in 1914. Dad was quite a logical guy. He said, I don't see how that can be. He said, why? He said, because I was five years old. I didn't see him. I believe I would have seen him if he come. The Bible is clear that the day of Christ's coming, the resurrection of the dead, and the judgment of the Lord are being experienced by every human who has walked up on the face of this earth. He is to be seen even by those who pierced him. Oh, and I, I believe that this was John's attempt to show how inclusive of all humanity the coming of Christ is. Those who nailed him to the tree, those who took a spear and made the gash in his side, and those who had a hand in the crucifixion are certainly going to see him. But I believe also it's a little more profound than that. Just that small number around the cross who nailed him and tortured him It's going to be expanded beyond that. 
I think woeful Caiaphas, a terrible high priest who did not recognize the coming of the Messiah, who laid out and planned his killing. I think that spineless Pilate who did not have the guts to stand up and do what he knew was right will also see him. I believe the King Agrippa who derided Apostle Paul when Paul was giving his defense, yelled out at him, Paul, do you think in a short time you can make me a Christian? He will see him. Uh, But others of us have pierced him as well. We who have once loved have gone back to living as if Christ no longer exists. We who have pierced him with inconsistent living and bringing dishonor on the name of Christ, those who claim to be children of God and deny the very power of God, living by the standards of this world, those with broken vows and promises all along the way, the trails of their lives are littered with debris of selfishness and greed. They have determined their fate by building their house and their life upon sand rather than a solid rock. Those who use the Lord as an emergency backup for their crisis and then give him lip service afterwards in their commitment. Every eye is going to see him when he comes, even those who pierced him. And lastly, The coming of Christ will bring great sorrow, according to this passage. I know that his, you know, eventual purpose, he wants to make this a glorious event. But verse 7 reminds us how somber it's going to be for millions who have chosen the broad road that leads to destruction. Prophet Zechariah notes that the mourning will be as one who mourns for an only child or as one who mourns for the firstborn son. And later on in this same book, Revelation chapter 6, I believe it is, they called for the mountains and the rocks to fall and hide them from the face of him who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb For the great day of their wrath has come. And the writer asks, who can stand? And their answer is, no one can stand. He mourns as one who stands in his filthy rags before the holy and the righteous God. And he has lived and has refused to accept God's only sacrifice for his sins. And this suggests that for teeming millions in the the coming of Christ, it's going to catch them as a thief in the night. The scripture talks about that they will mourn because of him. It's okay to paint this, my friends. A despair of the blackest magnitude for those who have denied Christ. Like King Belshazzar, when he saw the finger of God spelling out 
God's judgment upon the wall and he called Daniel in from the prison doors to, to, to explain that. Meany, meany, tickle, you farson. You've been found in the balances of God and found wanting. And the scriptures declare the Belshazzar's countenance changed. He got so frightened that his knees began to knock together and his legs gave way. And that night he died. If his first coming and his sacrifice for your sins mean nothing to you, then naturally his second coming will not bring you hope. If you're not believing and trusting in him now, you will not be able to trust him then. Men will mourn because they have ignored the knock at their heart's door where Jesus says in the Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any would open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. They have refused to invite him in. And every church across this great land of ours and over the world for that matter has witnessed the invitation of Christ being spurned. They will mourn because life that has been entrusted to them to be lived in honor and glory of God has been lived as though it was a game of some sort. They will mourn because they know that the sentence of their disobedience what's going to be. How sad. How very sad. But in conclusion, let me say to you, yet for a throng that only God can number, the second coming of Christ will not be a surprise. We have lived in communion with the Master, and we daily consider the possibility this may be the day. The denomination passed out some uh, things to attach to your refrigerator and windshield of your car, maybe today. Homecoming's not over with today yet, you know. Maybe today. We who trust in Christ have been able to see the gleams of the golden morning. I think every generation of God's people from the day that Christ lived today has been able to see the gleams of the golden morning knowing, going to their grave, knowing that Christ is going to come again. We know the Lord is now making preparations to come. We long and we love for his appearing. No fear here. There will be those who have been faithful of few things according to scripture. 
will become ruler of many. There will be an untold number who will fall prostrate before the king of kings and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. And later, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Well, I'm glad you don't have to prepare a lunch this morning, you know, but, or today. But let me just, just two or three more minutes. I recall in my very young days when I lived up in West Virginia, the aurora borealis that displayed themselves so brilliantly in West Virginia. And my wife remembers these in her hometown in Tazewell, Virginia. It was an unheard of display that far south at that time. I was in a church, I believe I remember it was on a Sunday evening. My father was always in complete control of me, so he had me sitting up up on the platform where the pulpit was and a few chairs, and there's a window here. And I would get over here where I could busy myself looking out the back window. I didn't like that position, but that's where he said I had to sit. But that particular night, I was sitting near this window and noticed how darkness was being suddenly displaced with fiery streams like ribbons in the sky. It's an image that you do not easily forget. But what amazed me before that church service was over with folk There's only a few in that church that evening, a few faithful, but suddenly folks started coming into the church sensing that maybe the Lord was coming and then wanting prayers and wanting to confess their sins. And the story is told that one of the men in that community ran for three miles to tell another man that he was sorry for what he had done to him or treated him. The gospel hardened people in this small coal mining community suddenly become interested in their salvation. That following Wednesday night, the prayer meeting, yeah, same place, next to the window, you know. But there was a lady who lived on the little path up to our home, back up in a hollow. She was the widow, and she wasn't able to get out the Sunday night before, but she experienced that that evening. And they was having a, a time of testimonies. And I'll never forget the testimony of this dear lady. Mrs. Ramey was her name. She lived near us, as I said, and her home was perched up on the side of the mountain, and the back porch was very high off the ground. And her testimony became quite happy, saying that she went out on her back porch and sensing indeed that the end of the ages perhaps was coming. She lifted her hands toward heaven and exclaimed, Come, Lord Jesus, come, long 
Have I waited for you? As a lad of 12, not too interested in church up to that point, I began to take note. I'm not sure I could do that or say that and mean it. I'm not sure I wanted him to come. But three years later, I understood what she meant. Now, of course, the desire of the Lord is that all should come to repentance. And he says to the unsaved, through Peter in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And to the faithful, from the same book, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of a people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. Hey, are you ready for the grandest homecoming? Hmm. Come. Lord Jesus, come. And in the words of Job, my heart yearns for you. Amen.